Hello, everyone. It's Ricardo, and here's the podcast lineup for Popping Collars in May 2021. On the flagship Popping Collars podcast, Betsy, Greg, Liz, and I are talking about portrayals of mental health in popular culture. And Greg has an interview with director Ryan Daniel Dobson about his new movie, Hosea. Hear what went into making this updated take on an ancient story. Just when Betsy and Greg thought they were out, Going On 30 has pulled them back in. This month, like the Mafia, they discuss the finale of the Corleone saga in The Godfather Part 3. Children may be looking forward to summer break, but the Sacred Six is going back to school with the episode Boys of Summer. Special guest Eric Matoyer discusses this pivotal episode of The Wire. Finally, the PC Book Club is back with its regular hosts. Liz and I give our picks for what you're going to want to be reading on the beach during your next vacation. Thanks for listening, and keep those collars popped. Hi, everybody. My name is Ryan Daniel Dobson. I am the writer-director of the new movie, Hosea. Come check out my episode where we talk about the movie and all the themes rotating around it. And you are listening to Popping Collars. And welcome to Pop and Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of faith and popular culture. We are coming to you today. This is Betsy Carmody. I'm the head chaplain here at the Episcopal High School, but I'm joined by three of my lovely co-hosts. Uh, let's throw it to Liz first. Liz, where are you? What you doing? Hey, Betsy. Um, I'm in Omaha, Nebraska, where I am the canon to the ordinary for the Diocese of Nebraska. Um, what is happening? I just, um, I'm vaccinated friends. Oh, it's no. a gift and a Feels blessing. So good. So it really good. does. Um, my family is vaccinated, which means we were able to see each other. My family of origin, we were able to see each other for the first time in a year and a half and hug. Mm-hmm. It was really, really special and a reminder of what, um, not to take for granted. Absolutely. Really and great. to get vaccinated, right. all you yeah, listeners please, out there. Please do. Don't turn oh down God. those shots. Don't turn yeah. down those shots. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, Ricardo, where are you? What you doing? Hi there, Betsy. Uh, yeah, Ricardo Avila here. I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California, near San Jose. I am also fully vaccinated. Yes. Yay. But uh, my big news is that the hubby and I just bought a condo in San Mateo, and it's my first time ever owning uh, a place. And so we're in the throes of packing and moving and little renovations. And it's, it's a bit of a full-time job. All right. And for last but not least, Greg, where are you? What are you doing? Thanks, Betsy. Greg Knight. I'm down here in Palm Beach, Florida, where I work as the director of children and youth ministries at the church of Bethesda by the sea. We're four for four on vaccinations. I, I I got the shot too. So we're all good. So do like popping collars, get vaccinated. I started a movie club at my parish uh, when the pandemic first started. So we like watch movies together over an app called Netflix Party. 
which I think changed its name. But anyway, you're able to watch like Netflix movies together. And there's like a little chat box down in the corner that you can like type messages to each other Mm -hmm. and like talk while the movie's going on. It's great. Uh, So we watched uh, My Octopus Teacher today. Oh, Oscar winner. All I'm thinking about is, is octopuses and how I can't eat calamari anymore. I think a lot of calamari is actually made from pigs. So you're probably prob- okay. I'll eat it then. <laughs> oh Lord, oh, help yeah. us! All right. So today's theme has kind of come from an intersection of of two ideas. The first being what we've kind of been talking about. What we've kind of been talking about the whole year: uh, living through a pandemic, living through a pandemic alone, living through a pandemic with other people, and some of the frank talk about mental health that's come from that, as well as living through this pandemic of racial reckoning that's also happening in this country, conversations around trauma, conversations around depression, isolation, all of those sorts of things. It has been highly encouraged, uh, whether you because you can do it from home, that people are seeking help uh, when they when they really need that. So this kind of mental health. Uh, story that's going on at the moment. But then also from Greg and I's side project of going on 30, and we've confronted some movies like Rain Man and Awakenings and Hollywood's attempt to try to insert itself into uh, the conversations around mental health and uh, neuro differences, right? Uh, And so sometimes that, that insertion feels like they're trying to raise awareness and be helpful. Sometimes it's problematic and it's only putting forward more stereotypes. So we thought that we would bring to the conversation today, whether it be books, um, albums, TV, movies, that are tr- is Hollywood's attempt to try to talk about some of these issues. And whether or not we think that that is something that's feeling successful, at least it's feeling successful in this moment, or, or something that has, uh, has proved itself to be problematic and difficult. And we say all of this saying none of us are professionals in this area. Yes, we have been trained in counseling as uh, people who have graduated with divinity degrees, and we do that in our own ministries in different ways, but we are not diagnosticians. We are not here um, in any sort of way as mental health professionals. So yeah, anything else before nice. we start? Does that feel? No, that feels good. Feel good? Shall okay. we go to the bag? To the bag. It is yes, well with my it. soul. It is yes. well with my soul. The bag has chosen Liz Easton oh, to go first. Oh my goodness! I feel like I never oh. um, get chosen first by the bag. Thank so. the bag. Thank you, bag. Thanks. So I I sort of went all over the place um, thinking about possibilities for this topic and read there's some great articles online about how pop culture and the media has dealt with mental health, mainly not well. I ended up doing something that picking something that was more of a pop culture phenomenon than an actual um, Hollywood attempt. Mm -hmm. And that phenomenon is the person of Britney Spears. Mm. And I don't know if you all have had the chance to watch the documentary Framing Britney Spears yet. Yes, yes. It was done beautifully by the New York Times. It's on Hulu. Um, It's really excellent. And it sort of traces her rise in celebrity from really childhood into adulthood, her very famous mental health 
uh, crises that were documented in the news and the tabloid press constantly. And now um, what has resulted in a conservatorship, which is her father basically controlling not just her finances and business dealings, but really controlling her life almost as if she were a minor. So while she still is working and, and sometimes has been working to great effect, the courts have deemed her unfit to be fully independent. A great example, which I had never thought of before, is the really famous head shaving incident. So in the midst of a paparazzi chase, she walks into a barber shop and takes the clippers from the barber and shaves that long blonde hair. But to see her, um, that mental health crisis in the context of what the media was doing to her felt really striking and really icky as a person who, as a consumer, colludes with that type of narrative. So anyway, just the the ways that so many people conspired basically for her to suffer and suffer and suffer more until she had a break. Were there other aspects, biochemically, um, trauma-related, whatever, that contributed to that? Definitely. But we um, ate her up. And, as, and we do this to women all the time. You set them up on a pedestal and then you just can't wait to see them fall. I go to the car. I tell Brittany, hey, Brittany, all I'm going to do is I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions and then I'm going to leave you alone. And Allie's coming up to me and she's like, guys, please, please. Please, guys. Don't, guys, please, please, guys. And Brittany just grabbed the umbrella, started coming after me and starts beating the passenger side of my truck. That night was not a good night for her. Oh, wow, she did that too? Did? And it was not a good night for us. Man. Oh, my God. <laughs> but it was a good night for us because it was a money shot. Yeah. That was the narrative of that 2000s sort of paparazzi media for a long time, right? So it was Britney Spears, but then like also like Lindsay Lohan was getting hounded around that time. Amanda Bynes was getting hounded around that time. Like all of these women, all of these young women. Paris Hilton, who's harassed. come out and talked about her depression and trauma. Yeah. You know, to bring this back around to like a religious concept, it was this idea of like scapegoating, it felt like. Mm-hmm. It was like these women were being offered up as some sort of sacrifice for popular culture. Somehow. Well, and that's just what it means to be famous. Sorry, honey. Right. Right. Like that, that was the narrative. Right. You asked for this. When you think about like, if a guy took a picture up a woman's skirt on a subway, he could uh, get arrested for that. But these photographs, you know, I'm thinking of like Britney Spears, Lindsay Lohan getting out of vehicles and all the rest were just blasted across tabloids. So I was one of those people who, you know, wasn't very kind to her in my thoughts I worked with someone who just loved Britney and loved Mariah Carey. And I thought, oh, God, I rolled my eyes. Oh, they're so pop and shallow or whatever. And then when all this stuff started happening, I was like, see, see, she's a mess. She's a mess. And it's it's good that there are things like this documentary that I'm assuming I haven't seen it. Uh, reframe that mm-hmm. and make us realize what vultures we are and how we can how we can take a take a person with talent and um, participate in their self-destruction or destructiveness mm-hmm. or confusion and not be helpful. 
Well, and they, like, I'm not saying that um, celebrity caused Britney Spears to have a mental health trouble of any kind. You know, I think that there's so many ways that people arrive at that place, whether it's genetic or. Um, yeah, and there's no way we can know that. No, but but like any chronic illness, stress an extreme stress will exacerbate a mental health disorder of any kind, whether it's depression or anxiety or bipolar disorder, anything just like stress will impact diabetes or um, arthritis or, you know, any other kind of chronic issue. So it's just such a shame that when we see people struggling, we turn up the pressure instead of people around her saying, wow, she needs help. Well, and, and also like Ricardo is pointing out and you're also pointing out Liz, like, what is this feeding for people who are consuming this? I mean, that's, that's the thing that always, that's the dark side to everything that we talk about on the show is that it's popular art. So yeah, it's art. It's this girl who's singing these songs that are written and she's doing the best she can, but we are consumers of that art. And when does consumption of an individual and their life become too much where her mental health is may or may not be linked to her fame, but what is, what is wrong with a society that pursues these people and tries to either find fault in them, bring them down? You know, what, what, what is that feeding in the American population? Because it seems like a story that gets told often. Well, and it is sort of a collective mental illness of all of ours, you know, that, or at least like a struggle of the ego and the psyche that like, we have to see somebody doing badly. We have to be able to point. And it's just like you said about scapegoating. We have to be able to point at someone else and say, well, I don't know about them, but I'm doing better than that. I'm not shaving my head in a barbershop. I'm not taking an umbrella to a car. I'm not driving with my child on my lap. Gosh, I'm a better mother than Britney Spears. I think there's a little bit of wanting to see people who are adored by others fall so that we can either feel better about us not being as adored or not having reached our dreams, see what happens, or comparing ourselves and then saying, well, I, you know, I take care of my kids at least. Mm -hmm. I, you know, our house is a mess. But so framing Britney Spears, that's my. Good My pick, Liz. Pick. Yeah, Good thanks. Job. Yeah, thank you, Liz. All right, who's up next? Uh, the bag has chosen me. <gasps> go, Greg. Next. Um, I'm going to go 180 degrees from Liz. I'm oh. going to go from young women to old men. That's, that's where, where I'm going. going. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually have two, but they're they're super related. So I'm just going to talk about them as if they're the same thing, which is uh, the father and Dick Johnson is dead. Uh, both are portrayals of uh, aging men who are going through stages of dementia. So I'll start with the father, which um, is just a very good movie and just very well um Put together, but it's it's sort of told from the perspective of this man who is going through dementia, and at first you sort of think that you're going to see it through his daughter's eyes as she's trying to help him through this, but no, it's actually you're seeing it through his eyes, and there's characters who get replaced with like the same names, and 
the apartment um, doesn't make sense. Like rooms will change, doors will change. Uh, sometimes um, uh, dialogue from the script will be repeated and you'll start to think to yourself, wait, didn't I already hear somebody say that? Wasn't I in this scene before? It feels like we've already done the scene. And and just the way that the movie is structured, it makes it it disorients you. It gets you off center, and it makes you realize, like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening. I think the ultimate tragedy of that movie is realizing that nobody's wrong, nobody's wrong, and nobody's doing the wrong thing, and it just feels so sad. You know, here's a man who can't care for himself. His daughter's trying to figure out how to care for him. She has to make decisions that she doesn't want to make. And she's not wrong for that. And he's not wrong for being upset by that and for being confused by it. And so it just it just makes for this really um, compelling drama that I would recommend to anyone. On the other hand, Dick Johnson is Dead, which is a documentary by a filmmaker named Kirsten Johnson, who is fantastic. She's just great. Her mother uh, dies of Alzheimer's and she sees that her father is starting to lose his memories as well. And so she does this really interesting experimental documentary where she films him uh, as he's, he moves in with her and she films him as he's going through this, but he, she asks him, can I put you in scenarios? Can I film you in scenarios where you die? so that we can start talking about death, so that we can start talking about your death and we can be okay with this together. And so, and so the film goes back and forth between these sort of cinema verite documentary things and then these kind of scripted death scenarios for her father. And it's just this wonderful sort of interplay of this, of this woman trying to connect to her father and trying to understand him but also trying to see what the way forward is just the idea that i might ever lose this man is too much to bear he's my dad let's start walking just start walking to me that's fantastic i suggested we make a movie about him dying (laughs) he said yes she kills me multiple times action Resurrected dad. Yeah, resurrected dad. But now it's upon us, the beginning of his disappearance. The thing I hate most about my memory loss is that it hurts people's feelings. You know that you woke up in the middle of the night last night. You got fully dressed. Do you remember any of that? No. Yeah. What can we do about that? I don't know. Everybody has to sort of prepare because everybody dies. I love life too much for that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, sweetie, your father is a wreck. It's just inevitable and a part of who we all are. Yeah. The fact that he's willing to keep doing this. He's doing for you with love. He's doing it for me with love. Yeah, he'll do anything for me. Can you just like put one arm up against the wall? Like, yeah, that's nice. 
he understands that he's he's losing a lot of things that he used to remember. He understands that his wife died of this. He he knows what it was like to care for his wife while she was going through this, and he doesn't want to be a burden on his daughter. Um, but he loves his daughter and he wants to be around her as much as possible. And, I um, want to cry just hearing about this. <laughs> Dick Johnson is dead is great. It's on Netflix. Um, wow. Definitely check it out. It's so painful having to lose somebody before they're gone. And I think that that's, that's what so many people, I think that struggle with this. So many people that are caretakers that struggle with their loved ones that are going through this because it's, it's like you've lost the person that you knew as your parent or as your grandparent or as your uncle or whoever, you know, or as your friend, you've lost that person. They're still here, but they're not them. And, and it's just, it's almost like going through an experience of loss, like a thousand times, you know, it's not just like that one moment of death. It's, it's like this perpetual death. Well, and it sounds like it would be good to watch if you yourself might be going, not be going through this, but someone, you know, is like say their parent or their, you know, because I think that that type of caregiving is so lonely that Mm -hmm. to be able to um, access part of their experience in one of these really empathetic ways might be really helpful. The little that I've seen other people go through this, it is, it's a special hell. Um, It is a special hell. William says to me, he says, you know, one of the first questions I'm going to ask God if I get to see God uh, is what was that with Alzheimer's and dementia? Mm -hmm. Like, what were you thinking? How could you do that? It's really awful. Can you imagine losing yourself? It's just so hard to fathom. And yet I I've seen like, I know that as I get older, I'm going to start to forget things. It's one of the reasons I kind of like that this podcast exists because now like there's at least a record that my daughters can listen back to and be like, Oh, my dad had thoughts about Brad Pitt. Who knew? Um, (laughs) You have more thoughts about Tom Cruise, which is unfortunate, but whatever. Now your quote that William said has got me thinking, Ricardo, it's almost like, what is, you know, what's your soul? (laughs) You know, like, I think I've got a pretty good handle of what my soul is, but it feels like at least part of it's tied to my personality, like who I see when I look in the mirror. And if that totally changes, like, what does that make the nature of our soul? Right. What, who are we? Part of what the Jungian tradition always talks about is how tiny the ego is within the ocean of the soul. So that notion of self that might mm-hmm. disappear in dementia, I mean, it really does in that way reveal to us how vast our soul is related to our ego, you know, the part of our personality that we recognize. And and then when you think about being made in the image and likeness of God, like so much of us, we are so much bigger in that likeness than the personality that we see. And yet, even just like you said, Greg, just thinking about that creates a kind of existential terror mm-hmm. in me of, of losing sight of myself. Yeah. There's the idea, and it's in the Bible, right? We will all become like Christ, or we will all be subsumed into the Godhead. That doesn't sit well with my ego, as you're yeah. saying, because I want, I want my needs fulfilled, right? 
Well, it's a mystery, you know, like so many things. And like, that's Ricardo's or William's question to God is a piece of that. Like there's so many (laughs) mysteries in the human condition and Alzheimer's is mental health is in almost every constellation is a piece of that. Like um, depression and anxiety are so mysterious. Well, and that I I don't sit around and think that God's like, and that person's going to get Alzheimer's and mm-hmm. that person's going to, you know, that that's not the God I've experienced, but a lot of people it's struggle a, with that. It's yeah. a part of the human condition. Yeah. It is something that can happen to your brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say just one last thing just to wrap up because as someone who suffers with anxiety about death constantly, mm-hmm. um, uh, Dick Johnson is dead is one of those great movies that actually puts you at ease. I know sometimes that can be a thing. It's certainly a thing for me. I watched this movie and I was like, oh, that's, that's great. Thank you for that. So, yeah. What a beautiful gift that is to find Mm -hmm. a piece of art that can do that. That's really lovely. Totally. The bag has chosen Betsy. So this one might be a little muddly and I might be trying to do too much, but we'll see. I, I struggle because I do like, True crime shows, uh, serialized true crime shows like anything in the Law and Order series or any or even Grey's Anatomy, anything that's kind of serialized. When they try to address new issues, they sometimes they will embed it in their actual cast, but often it comes in as an individual who's committed a crime, mm-hmm. who is dealing with with some sort. And I think this is where a lot of those violence parallels come from. And and so it becomes this, well, you know, you're going to learn about what bipolar is and it's going to be because this person did something terrible and that that sort of or or something bad has happened to them and they've ended up in Seattle Grace Hospital. So Mm -hmm. that it's hard because some of the doorways into some of these serialized shows to really address or bring light to, because I feel like often that is what creators are trying to do is to bring awareness. Right. And sometimes then there'll be the little like. PSA kind of thing at the end, or there's trigger warnings at the beginning that they're dealing with something like that. But it does become hard to have sustained, sustained interaction with, with, with something that you're trying to kind of confront. I had thought about this and I kind of went back to something that was controversial several years ago. And that's the series on Netflix, 13 Reasons Why. And I, I find almost it- did this one. Sir. 13 Reasons Why deals with with suicide. And I think the problem becomes when you're using a mental health struggle of one of your characters to be this very elaborate, in this case, revenge fantasy, where this person is is making 13 different cassettes to kind of blame all these people for, for the suicide that is coming, when so often that is not... You know, when research looks at why, why suicide happens, an elaborate revenge scenario is not what's actually happening and using that as the dramatic tool throughout the the whole narrative and they can put as many warnings in front of it as you want but it is this wielding of a suicide based narrative to to bring teen drama to life and I, I, I struggle with it i struggle with it liz what did you when you were thinking about it well, I've watched all of the seasons of it. It gets worse. Um, oh, does it? I couldn't even yeah. get, I didn't get past one. In terms of just being really exploitative. Would you take a seat in my office, please? No, I will not take a seat in your office. You think that this is the way to make us safe? 
You know what would make me feel safe? Not having to go to a school with metal detectors. Uh, There's still class, folks. Okay, Bell has not run. No, you're killing us. You are killing us. Don't you get that? You mean a drill with gunshots and you hammer down the door to prepare us for what exactly? For what it feels like to be hunted, to practice getting ready to die, to make us feel afraid for our lives? We already know how that feels. You're scaring us to death every day. We are children. Everybody dies. So please, please let us live. We are trying to keep you alive. That's what every minute of this drill has been about. No. Who are you to say it's enough? Who are you? Hey, stop. Am I safer now? I've got your gun. I've got your gun. Am I safer? Clay, please put the gun down. We'll go to my office and we will talk this over. Okay? Come on. You know, I had heard a lot of people and mental health experts applauding the show. Yes, because that's that's the problematic part is I've also exactly. heard, oh, all the awareness. Like if you want, you know, watch it with your kids. Here are resources. Right. The problem that I had, and this is in part as a parish priest who has been, um, you know, walked alongside communities who have dealt with suicide and among young people, too, is that the whole premise of the show is trying to figure out whose fault it is that a young woman died by suicide. Mm-hmm. And I think that I earlier I said that, you know, use the word mystery. I think that part of what we do when we care for people who are in that situation is to remind them that it's not their fault. It's not anybody's fault. And that one of the great struggles when you love someone who died in that way is one is blaming yourself. The other is being just terrifically angry at them because they were the ones who did it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and this show, I thought um, it set it up like a mystery. Yes. To solve. We're going to find out whose fault it is. And the only person whose fault it is, is the poor young woman who did it to herself. And that's not even her fault. I don't have kids. It's been a long time since I was that age. I don't think I would have been comfortable with um, my kids watching that. Well, now with Netflix, your young person has their own laptop. They have an iPad. They can go into their room and binge 13 episodes in a row of like violent trauma, which in the original iteration culminated in a super graphic gratuitous depiction of suicide that was really too much. And And there are guidelines on, on how, how suicide is approached on film. Yes. How it's reported on in the media. Mm. I mean, there's all sorts of things and that, that, that folks said, yeah, this show violated that. Yeah. And Netflix ended up removing that scene. Yeah. It does not feel responsible for me. I don't want to sound like I'm clutching my pearls, but it does seem like there's a lot of media geared towards Generation Z that's about telling these kids how much anxiety they should have about things. It might just be that that's how media is, not, not to excuse it, but we've had that forever. And maybe not I Love Lucy, but maybe, oh, I should have fun neighbors who are cosmopolitan and from Cuba and wear dresses that are gorgeous while I'm cleaning the house. It's that idea of uh, expectation brought on by media exposure uh, that is problematic and especially for kids. Yeah. Well, I think that maybe I can piggyback off of that and ask Betsy a question. Do you think that 
access is an issue. Like access to lots of different things that maybe previous generations didn't have access to. For instance, I'm thinking if I'm a young person today, I have access to free porn whenever I want it. I have access to premium adult entertainment whenever I want. I have access to conspiracy theory rabbit holes on YouTube whenever I want. Mm -hmm. Like I have access to so much stuff. Just makes me think that the availability of whatever media you want at a young formative age can make things a little tough. It's this, it's this good intentions that kind of go another direction is more of kind of like, I think exposure and I think having lots of avenues and ways of telling stories available is good because whether that means you've got stories that might not get told unless you know, a channel like FX decides that a show like Pose is really important and we need to put it on and we need to. And that came from a whole reckoning around they thought they were a great network who was telling great, rich, diverse stories. And then there was an article written that really looked at all the networks and they were terrible. Mm -hmm. And so there was a conscious decision to try to bring different stories and bring different creators to the table to turn that around. So maybe it is this catch 22 of like, oh, it's too much stuff. And then we're over here. But then at the same time, there are stories that are being told that might not otherwise have been shared because I love that my child, you know, her Instagram is very socially forward, very progressive. You know, she has issues that she cares about. And sometimes I worry if we are not exposing our kids to some of these things that it's like the parents who come in and say, well, you know. I'm Catholic. My wife is, is, is Methodist. We haven't really taken the kids to any church and they're just going to, you know, we just want them to choose. Well, it's like, well, you haven't given them any sort you of made the choice. Yeah. Right. You, you, you know, you've so taught them how to not be religious. Right. I, I don't think that access thing is going anywhere. So we're going to, we have to, we have to work inside that to offer some sort of roadmap. If 13 products. reasons why is going to exist. Yeah. Here's how to not <laughs> let it affect you, your mental health, like moving forward. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. And there were, there were tons of resources that came out around the show, sponsored by the show. Nice. All right, Ricardo, the bag has chosen you last. That's right. It heard your complaints last time when you were chosen first. And it was like, <laughs> okay, recalculating. Yeah, well, I you're right because I used to complain about always going last, and then I went first, and that was not a you good feeling. You did not feeling. like that. It was no. not good. So thank you. It is well with my soul bag, and in fact, I am grateful again because you all have really tackled some good, heavy topics, meaty topics, and mine's sort of light compared to yours. So uh, this is good. This is good because uh, because there's meat already. I can be the frosting on the cake, perhaps. The frosting Our on the meat cake. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's it's like back to friends. It's a trifle That's with right. meat and the thing. Ugh. Perfect. There you go. There All right, go. ice ice away, my friend. Reaching way back, uh, Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd's "The Wall," mm. uh, but also uh, their album "Wish You Were Here." But more specifically. Um, in the, the so Pink Floyd's a band that's been around since 1967 or earlier. And um, one of the founding members or one of the early members was, some, was someone named Sid Barrett. And Sid Barrett 
you know, for various reasons, I, I think that are still unknown. You know, it might have been drugs. It might have been that he actually had schizophrenia. He had to leave the band in 1968 uh, because of some form of mental illness. And so Pink Floyd went on and they weren't really famous at that time. They, they had fame at a certain level. Then uh, Dark Side of the Moon came out and they were superstars immediately. And Wish You Were Here uh, came out. And that's sort of where I want to focus for a moment, because I think, you know, uh, Roger Waters, I think, especially was good friends with Sid Barrett. And it was painful to have he, he changed almost like there was one weekend where he went away. And when he came back, he was a totally other person and they didn't know why. Uh, he would have vacant stares. There are apparently all these appearances on like the Dick Cavett show and other other shows where he just either acted out or was just catatonic and wouldn't respond to any questions. And that's a little uncomfortable. He became a sort of a an inspiration or it was in the background for the album Wish You Were Here. And especially this cycle of songs called Shine On You Crazy Diamond. All in all, it might be in three parts on the album, and in total is maybe like 26 minutes of music, long. and it it's long, yeah. Um, but uh, it's an homage to him and to that lost friendship. I take it and think in the spirit it was meant, and that is, um, we miss you and we love you, and you had this brilliance, and we wish the best for you. Shine on you, Crazy Diamond. So I think the, the lyrics, if you think about this this band that's hit superstardom and they're trying to follow up their smash album with a, with another one, to devote so much uh, of their album to him is pretty fascinating. I know that crazy is a word that we're not supposed to use, but um, I think in the context of that, they, they just mean it's just it was just part of his kind of brilliance that mm -hmm. he was out there. And um, Wish You Were Here, the famous song, probably like the Pink Floyd song, if you will, is at least tangentially about him as well. You know, uh, I think it's David Gilmore who sings it, but I think Roger Waters wrote the lyrics. And the, the, the last part of that goes, uh, how I wish, how I wish you were here. We're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year, running over the same old ground. What have we found? The same old fears. Wish you were here. It's poignant. So it's, it's funny. I, I don't know that they would, you know, if they were listening to popping collars, they, they might call in if they could and say, oh, come on, you're overanalyzing. But, you know, it's more about how we how we take in what we, you know, how we meet whatever it is, the art is that's presented to us. Um, I want to give a little tangential story before I forget. It's not tangential. It's very direct. So when The Wall, the movie came out, it was rated R. I think it came out in 1980 or 81 or something. And I wasn't of age, but my friend and I, we sneaked in and we watched it and it blew my mind. I just thought, oh my gosh, this, I knew the music. And so at the same time, I was in this Catholic school uh, youth group and um, 
the 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 very earnest youth group leaders said we want to talk today about something very <laughs> serious and about like drug use and you know we want to we're going to play you this song and we you know this is just this is what kids are listening to today and we're very concerned and so they played comfortably numb right hello is there anybody in there i've become comfortably mm-hmm. numb and so the, and you know half of us were like latino kids with immigrant parents i knew it but like other people that were like, what is Pink Floyd? You know? So they said, well, what did you think of the song? And nobody was saying anything. So I raised my hand and I said, I was so excited. We just saw the movie. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great scene and comfortably numb. And he's like really comatose, but he's got to go on stage and he's breaking things. And, and they're just looking at me and they're like, okay, thank you. So anyone else? <laughs> That's a cautionary tale to all of us who wanted to assemble the youth group to talk about 13 Reasons Why. That's exactly. Right. Yeah. And yeah. I would say I would say that is sort of a microcosm of popping collars. You know, you've got to I think we are responsible in how we treat pop culture and faith and that intersection. You know, this these poor youth group leaders, I think we're trying to use something, be hip, but like yeah trash our love. I mean, we love this stuff. You're going to tell me it's wrong. Why? It speaks to me more than you do. So it was just a funny, a funny little moment. I never forgot. And I thought I'm cooler than these youth group leaders. I was, I was at a friend's church that their youth leader did the same thing with Stone Temple Pilots second album, Purple. Uh, They played uh, Vaseline and uh, they were like, okay, so what do you guys think? And I was like, I rocked. That was a great song. <laughs> I love that song. Exactly. Well, and um, you're part of, your, your thing it brings up for me some of those conversations around some of the mental illness and genius, right? Mm-hmm. That becomes kind of a, a narrative. You know, if you're thinking about like a beautiful mind or shine or, you know, like things like things like that that are really, um, you know, people who struggle to be like, well, I don't want to be on my medication because then I can't be the person who I'm supposed to be or I can't create in the way I want to. And that, and that there's some struggle inside that for people. Right. Yeah. I was thinking, and maybe it's because we were talking music. And then Betsy, when you brought up this idea of like, well, can I still be the me that was creative if I've, if I'm also dealing with my stuff it made me think of Brian Wilson, right? Being pushed again by your father and all of those horrible dynamics that the Beach Boys had to deal with, but having this kind of creative genius to write these songs, but eventually that gets out of control. And then in order to repair yourself, you're not the artist that you were when you were writing those songs initially, right? Like, right. That's a tough right. one. Uh, the other one that it makes me think of, and this is the last thing I'll say, um, is uh, uh, John Lennon. He would always say, like, look, I was always dealing with depression and mental health problems, and nobody was listening to me. And so I would write a song. I would write a song called Help, and I would say, like, help. I need somebody. Help. Not just anybody. I need someone. Help. Right? And I wrote that, and I sung it, and nobody listened to me. Mm. Nobody listened to me when I was singing these songs. Wow. I feel like there's a lot of that where it's like, sometimes, sometimes it's actual text. If we just listen, we can hear it, you know? Well, that brings me back full circle to Britney Spears. I heard a, I heard a cover of baby one more time by fountains of Wayne and the way they sing it is kind of slow and pensive with guitar. And those lyrics are, are, are hard. 
you know, I must confess that my loneliness is killing me now. That was the first time I thought, you know, there was more there than I gave her credit for. Well, yeah. And to think like then there is a young teenage girl dressed up in a man's fantasy costume of the little school girl saying, hit me, baby, one more time. Like she was just fed to the wolves. Mm -hmm. She didn't write that song. Right. Someone gave it to her. And and I I like it when when serious musicians will do that, will repurpose pop songs because it shows um, this completely different perspective on this machine. Full circle popping friends. I I want to thank you all for engaging with this topic. I remember when I pitched it in our pitch meeting, we really had to go around a little bit on what exactly is Betsy suggesting. So I I want to thank you for digging in and and coming to some really interesting places, all all four of us. And uh, and I think this is a it's it's a conversation that we need to have. It's a conversation that continues to change every year. And, uh, and I'm, um, thank you so much for, for engaging in it. I, I really appreciate it. So, uh, and thank you, dear listener for joining us for this episode of, of, of popping collars. Uh, you can of course find our podcast wherever your podcast needs are serviced, uh, whatever sort of app you may use, uh, we're on iTunes and all those beautiful places. We're also on Episcopal cafe. We love Episcopal cafe and we know that you will too, especially for all your Episcopal church needs all that fun stuff so you can find us there and so we really hope that you have have a great month till we join you again so thank you Ricardo thank you Liz thank you Greg and keep those collars popped pop, pop. nice good job Betsy how I wish how I wish you were here we're just two lost souls swimming in a fishbowl Running over the same old